We are here at the Church at War conference. There's another conference going on this weekend, but we're not going to talk about it because it's significantly less interesting than what's happening here in Waterloo. It has been a wonderful time so far, and we're looking forward to an amazing week with speakers, uh, friends from all over the country who've come here to celebrate and to rejoice. It is a target-rich environment, as a friend of mine would say, but that's okay. We're looking forward to what the Lord will accomplish here this weekend. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. Matt Halleck is behind the ones and twos running the production. This is the Liberty Dispatch. It is our pleasure to introduce on this special episode of the Liberty Dispatch, James Coates and Tim Stevens, pastors from Alberta, one from Edmonton, one from Calgary. Obviously, if you follow our show, you know who they are. Really, not a whole lot of introduction is needed. And so I'm going to turn over and say, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this special episode of the Dispatch. I'm truly pleased and thankful to have you here with us. So... It's, uh, it's good to be with you brothers today. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. You guys look great. Appreciate that. Yeah, yep. Tim. Tim's looking good. He is. The, the, so there's, there's, there's almost a, there's a de-evolution happening here in terms of overall suit attire. We have Tim in the back. We've kind of just, so that we're not ashamed by the, just the beauty of the suit and the charcoal and the tie. And then we eventually move over to me. Although my shirt kind of matches... A little bit what's going on that wasn't planned I promise but um, yeah guys thanks for being here uh, when did you guys arrive yeah we got in yesterday came in uh, yesterday at like three o'clock or so mm-hmm yeah the same James and I had the same flight from Alberta in here in Ontario so you down Edmonton or you from Edmonton and then you guys carried over yeah I flew to Calgary and uh, and then from Calgary here to Waterloo Kitchener so our wives are having coffee right now, and they're also talking, and I'm certain it's just as interesting a conversation, but unfortunately, they don't get to hear all the ins and outs about us and what it means to be a pastor's wife. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the conference this week and really what's led up to this conference. We're going to talk about the events of the last three years and why it is that we're here, in part why it is that we're here. And so for some of our audience who might not be familiar with your stories, who might not be totally familiar, maybe they've connected with the Liberty Coalition in some, you know, at some point within the last year and a half, two years, and so they, they weren't there at the beginning of things. Let's rewind, let's go back, it's March 2020, there's murmurings of this bubonic plague that's floating around that's gonna kill everyone, and our premiers and prime minister and health officials are talking about 14 days to flatten the curve, and they start to talk about mandates. They start to talk about masks and limiting percentages. So as these murmurings are growing, how are your elders processing this? What kind of conversations are you having? What are people from your church saying? You know, pastor, I hear about this, this, this virus. Let's take it back all that almost three years ago now. What was going on at Grace Life at the time? Well, I just gotten back from the Shepherds Conference that year, and we had been hearing about the reports of a virus coming out of China, and we're aware of it as we traveled to some extent, but it was still something that was sort of in the distance to some degree. But when it came time to dealing with it on the home front, I mean, it happened very quickly. I got home from the conference. I actually got really sick, uh, apparently not with COVID. And, um, and, and then from there, I mean, everything began to just shut. I mean professional sports were coming to an end. Um, 
and then the, the, the restrictions on gathering started to come in. So we didn't really have a ton of time to process mm -hmm. what was going on. It just came. And we were now being told to limit our gatherings and, and everything else. And at that point, being fairly ignorant with respect to even just the way that our legal system works, the government was threatening fines that if you don't comply with these regulations, you're going to be fined up to $100,000. And then second second time is $500,000. And at that point in time, financially, we're done. I mean, we wouldn't be able to continue on. So, you know, we're just, we're very skeptical of the legitimacy of this, the government response. Uh, we hey, recognize Alberta, there's a virus, the, but... What was the, so in Ontario, we had the Reopen Ontario Act, uh, or the, what was it in Alberta? Like, what was the particular measure? What did they call, do you remember the actual new set of rules that they were enforcing? Well, I think it's the Public Health Act. And they, they called an emergency and then that invoked the Public Health Act and then gave the governing authorities the, the, uh, the authority to be able to enforce their health regulations. So, um, and that happened pretty immediately. Jason Kenney called an emergency and, and then from there, I mean, society was being shut down, stores were being closed, uh, churches were having to limit their gatherings. And, and, uh, and so that was, that's, what it looked at for us. Yeah, in our, in our church, the first time I heard about COVID was actually at Costco. You know, we had, we had gone to go do our groceries and we noticed that there was a lot of product missing. And so we get to the front and we're like, why, why is he checking out of stock and this out of stock? She's like, oh, because of coronavirus. And I'm like, coronavirus? And so you go, go home, you Google, and you find out, okay, there's this, there's this thing. So was this in March or April? That's coming. Oh, I, I can't remember yeah, the exact some, yeah. day. It was... Um, it was, it was before it got really crazy, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but then as, as restrictions started to come, we just assumed that some of those images coming from Italy and China were, were legitimate. This is going to be bad. And uh, we weren't a church that had all the tech and stuff. And so we, you know, started investing some of that technology so I can communicate to the church. But, you know, right at the very beginning, we were very clear that even though we weren't going to gather this, this week, um, this is this is not a replacement for church. You know, this is, this is, this is even even my speaking into a camera was not preaching. This was me addressing the church, and it was almost like a, I, I said it was like a letter from from Samuel Rutherford when he was exiled from his congregation, and so he was still addressing them, giving them theology and, and helping them, but it wasn't it wasn't a gathering, and both myself and then a number of people in our congregation, yeah, that was a, a difficult thing, like to. Because I wasn't preaching in our, in our sanctuary auditorium at church. I was doing it at home, like staring into the lens of a camera and uh, pretending that that's communicating to, you know, the folks that are watching on the other end, not sure if it was really on or not. And that became, to me, a, a, huge, a huge problem. So be before it was, before we had the, the big theological argument, it was, it was at first just, just a feeling of this is not right. This is not church. This is not... I'm not able to pastor. I can't see my people, and and the people on the other side felt the same way. And it's because we were we were such a, a family of faith mm -hmm. that we we just couldn't go along for weeks upon weeks uh, without gathering together. And of course, the goalposts started moving, which just made us realize, well, forget about trying to shoot a goal into moving goalposts. Let's just gather. You know? It's funny you bring that up. The this very visceral, almost. The spirit of God in us is this kind of base response that this is wrong, right? We, like, we know that. And it, it's, 
that that was discredited so quickly. It doesn't matter how you feel. That's just, I, I remember a pastor in the city where, where I serve as well. There was an email that went out among the pastors and they said something to the effect of, is it just the, are we longing for the, the nostalgia of and kind of the, the personal preference of meeting? And is that really what we should be after? And he's, he was missing that there is something so essential that we get it even in our bones as believers, that we, we shouldn't have to exegete scripture and fold passages over and over again and do a little bit of hermeneutical origami with Romans 13 to understand that we need to meet, right? And it, it, it speaks to the, the, just the absurdity that you can be at home and watch a YouTube sermon and people think that's okay, but we on the other end of the camera know it's, this is clearly wrong, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones was right. A sermon, a preacher is both a preacher and a congregation. When there's something cut off, it doesn't work. So the importance of knowing right, right away that just, this, is, this is wrong. Even without being able to point to a particular passage of the scriptures, this is wrong. We know it's wrong. So, you know, you talk about the goalpost shifting. So I'll, I guess I'll ask you again, Tim. As, as you see this and as you're, you're questioning, as you're, you're skeptical, at what point or what did it look like for you and your elders in your church to say, we are going to meet in defiance of these things, whether we're at all public about it or not, we're going to do this. What was, what was that process like? What were those conversations like? Well, certainly even at the very beginning, you have differences of opinion. And really? We were, it wasn't yeah. just like everyone just doesn't agree on what to do? Wow. Yeah. So, so we had differences of opinion. And even like we were, we were a very small fellowship at the time. And uh, it was myself and another elder. So there's two of us um, as pastors. And we had opposite convictions on this issue. And so just through, just through personal discussion, we had differences of opinion. And then I really thought, well, if, if I want to persuade him, I'm going to need to write this down. Um, and because, you know, pastoral ministry is not so much of a pastor up there calling the shots and just, this, this is how you do it. But, but we have to persuade. Um, we have to reason. We have to use the word of God in argument um, to be able to show people this is actually the right thing to do. This is what God would want us to do. And so I took it upon myself to, to write a um, fairly, fairly lengthy essay for, for the very beginning of this now and uh, share that with my other elder. And then when we couldn't really come to a, an agreement, at least, at least of being on the same mind, you know, we, we brought it to the congregation. We began to get feedback from the congregation and, and most of the folks were actually supportive of what I was what I was arguing that we needed to gather and so we ended up gathering uh, before we were we were allowed to uh, gather again but I thought I my, my role through through COVID a lot of the times was using using the pen um, writing out addressing all the arguments addressing all of the passages such that people have have a firm foundation it's not just oh this, their favorite pastor. Oh, mm-hmm. he's open. So let's let's do that. Or or this guy. You know, he's you know we we got to follow this guy. It's like it's like no. What does the what does the word say? And then how do we address all the different objections with the word? And so that's that's what I did to try to persuade the folks uh, in the congregation. And it just would strengthen my own convictions mm-hmm. as well, which would be needed later on whenever the pressure increases. You need to know why why you're doing what you're doing. It's funny how how much of that came about. The pastors started, you know, whether they started blogging or writing or even doing, you know, video logs or 
just engaging open letters, just really having to do things in a way that we, we've never done before, right? I think we've taken for granted the government church relationship in this country. They haven't really bugged us a whole lot. We haven't had to really think about these things so much. But a situation like that has a kind of multi-level refining effect on the church where now we're having to not just think through things more intentionally, but see the importance of cataloging and writing and actually being able to defend these positions. Because you're right, we don't want to make the same mistake again. We don't want to be in a position again where we're just surprised and caught off guard, where we haven't thought through things well. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. I actually read some of the stuff that you posted from your church and thinking this is, this is good. Measured biblical response, more of this, less of the canceling, less of the you scoff laws, you whatever. And so that, that's, that's been a good thing that's come out of this is pastors having to refine their thinking and put it down on paper. Mm-hmm. James, what about yourself? What, uh, what would that look like, that moment when you and the church kind of the elders went from a we don't know to no it, it is time to no longer comply well we we began even our compliance recognizing from the outset the tension between romans 13 and hebrews 10 25 mm-hmm. so we knew there would come a point when these two texts would be at odds with each other and that there were limitations on our obligation to obey the government so we, we allowed the first declared public health emergency to kind of run its course, let the data come in, uh, see the severity of COVID-19, even use that time to think through the, the ecclesiological issues, even think through some of the issues of our relationship to government. And, and so by the time that came to an end, we were ready to open our doors and we did. I preached a sermon on Romans 13 called Putting Government in Its Place and then followed that up with the, the paragraph that has um, the, the not forsaken the gathering of the saints, Hebrews 10, um, 25. So, so preached those two sermons. That basically set the table for our congregation to be ready to come back and, and even for our leadership to, to come back as well. So after preaching those two sermons, just leading up to the end of the, the first declared public health emergency, uh, we were ready to go. And so when that ended and the teeth were removed from the enforcement, uh, we were, we were, our doors were open. There was no distancing, no masking. We were, we were open for business. And, and we stayed open from that point all the way until, um, until we were given our building back, you know, at the end of it all because we had been locked out. But um, so we had stayed open and, and, and things didn't get dicey until the fall of 2020 when a second declared public health emergency came into uh, effect. And at that point in time, we were getting complaints, and that's when the governing authorities began to really press in on us to get us to, to submit to their edicts. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I hope that our audience, in, in hearing the two of you share, see the, the very real human aspect to it. It's not like right from the beginning like, I think there's this weird feeling that exists among men. We know each other. We've connected over the last number of years that at some point decided, no, we're going to obey God rather than man. There's this sense, I mean, we know it's not the case, but there's maybe this sense from the outside that from the very beginning, from it was one day after the lockdowns were announced, and we know exactly, it's all, we're all, we've thought this out, and we're ready to defy right away. And, and hearing the, the very honest answer that it was a process. Right? It's a process of having to think through 
How do we deal with the government edicts? How do we deal with the virus? We're told it's scary. We're told it's a killer. So it's it's good for people to remember that, I mean, we're just, we're men. We're men. We're finite in our understanding. We don't always make the right decision. We, even though we're, we're, we're all good Calvinists here, we, we know we can't change the past. But there's a part of us that says, well, if I, if I could in some way have made a different decision earlier, maybe I would have, knowing what I know now. But the truth is that we... We, we tried to do the best that we could with the information that we had. Now I say that in my mind leading into this, this next thought, which is a year passes, two years pass. This March is not that far away. We're up to three years. I know that there are places, churches that still kind of persist in some of the mentality still, whether it's enforcing stuff or quick to, as we're wrestling through these issues of how to respond to the state, how to make sense of what the scriptures require of us, obviously there's a period of time we have to figure it out. We have to, we have to navigate it. But at what point, or is there a point where to continue to persist? Like, let's assume we're still in the middle of lockdowns right now, which we're not. Everything is still the way it was two years ago. Two years after the fact, like, is there, is there a point where we would say, yeah, this is, the grace period is over. Whatever that grace period is, that we would say past this point, there's enough information, there's enough, we, we've had to wrestle, we've written letters, we've dealt with the scriptures to persist in full compliance after whatever this point is. It's just, it, there's no more excuse. Where was that point? Where do you think that point was? I think it's difficult to spell that out because you've got, you've got pastors in unique contexts. They may not have their own building, for example. They may be trying to bring their congregation along. We're in an elder-governed church, and so we could open our doors. And at that point in time, we didn't force anyone to come, but it wasn't a vote. So um, our doors were open, and now it was time for our people to decide, are they going to live stream or are they going to come? I don't know if, if there necessarily is a point. I think the point that we opted to open our doors was the right time to open our doors. We had, we had seen that COVID-19 was not the threat that it was. We had, we had seen that there was a duplicity even in the context of um, protests that were taking place mm-hmm. where you had even government officials at those protests in support of Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing. So I think when you, when you realize the virus is not as serious as they made it out to be, it's clear their, their restrictions aren't necessary and potentially are even more harmful than the virus itself. When you begin to realize that there's something that's not right about what's taking place, that's certainly a good time to open up. I think, though, in hindsight, what we've, what we've settled is that the, the government doesn't have the authority to dictate to the church the terms of worship. Mm-hmm. And so should we find ourselves in that scenario again, um, you can opt to comply in the same way that if the government said, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a tsunami coming, please don't meet, you know, um, they're probably, that's probably good counsel. We, we should not meet. Uh, but we would do that because we're, we're, we're recognizing that the council coming in is, is alerting us to an issue that, that we don't want to bring our people into harm's way by doing that. We're not doing that because the government has the authority to tell us not to meet. So I think we have to realize the government doesn't have that authority, and, and so should they come along again and try and tell us that we can't worship in accord with the head of the church, Christ himself, then, then um, 
yeah, if they do that again, we just say, look, thank you for the for the advice. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll take a look at this ourselves and evaluate what we think is the best thing for our people, and then navigate accordingly. And and regardless of whatever, right? They 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 shot their shot with the the virus that was supposed to wipe us out, and they they played their they played their big game. And so it, at this point, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever at any moment when they say we will now be the ones to dictate the terms of worship. The posture of the local church should say, whether it's the plague, whether it's a tsunami, whether it's bombers because of World War III, we'll take it under advisement. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make that decision. Yeah, and, and, you know, let's just say this. So COVID, everyone, basically everyone got COVID-19. Had it been more deadly, the church should have met. Mm -hmm. I mean, if everyone's going to get it and it's that deadly, then you should be meeting anyway. Where else should you be if you're going to die? That was Luther's position during the plague. It was, if they're going to be in the streets dying, then I'll bring them the gospel. What am I going to do? Hide in the wall? uh, Hide at home? Like, they need to hear the good news because if it's a killer, what about their souls? And it's amazing that that was fumbled, right? And we were paralyzed by fear. It's it's amazing that we, the churches, were afraid to die or were afraid of punishment. And they were using a passage of Scripture as justification— written by a man who was imprisoned and beheaded because he was an enemy of the state and it came at great cost to him. Um, yeah, Tim, how about, how about yourself? Where's the, where's the point or how do we, how do we process going forward um, not only how we respond to future mandates, whatever they be, whether it's climate stuff, but I guess where's the point in the last two and a half, three years where a church... If they, you know, would persist, we would say, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I can extend the same kind of understanding after six months. It's, it's more, that's yeah. been much longer than that now. Well, I think what James said is right. Each church has its own unique circumstance that sometimes can, can hinder even what a pastor would, would want to do or try mm-hmm. to lead his people to do. I, I was hoping, looking back, I was hoping that when this brother went to jail, that that would be a time when so many churches would say, okay, this is it's enough. Because it's almost a year. We've, we've, we've have data that's come in. And obviously, if some are so convinced that they're willing to go to jail for this, um, there's, there's enough information out there for me to make the call. So, I, so I, was, I was hoping that that would be a moment, uh, almost like what we saw last year with the truckers, mm-hmm. you know, where you would have a, a, a huge movement rally around the truth of, of the Lordship of Christ over his church. And then not only the resultant freedom that would bring to the church, but to the entire society, mm-hmm. right? It, it would have been incredible. Um, unfortunately, it didn't, didn't happen that way. And my, my hope and my wish for, for other churches is that their line might not be in the exact same spot as where we might put the line, but, but you need to put down a yeah. line, and you need to do that before you get to that line. Because if, if, if now is not the time to engage in a form of civil disobedience or in divine obedience contrary to a, an order of the government, well, when is? You know, when is it? Um, yeah, the hill. When, what's the hill? We heard that. This and, is not and, the hill to die yes, on. Yes, and tell me, tell me clearly. Yep. You know, don't just say, oh, it's just not now, it's not now, it's not now. Because... My feeling was that guys were kind of setting soft lines and then the government would go past that and they still would, they would just, they would just move that line a little bit further. 
And so settle it in your mind now where that, where that line is. And, and I think what James said is true. It's like the government has no jurisdiction mm-hmm. over the church. And so we take their, their calls to stop because of safety, whatever it might be. We take that under advisement because we love our people more than the government does. Mm-hmm. And we know, we know what's best for our people more than they do. Say that, say that, again, for, uh, <laughs> say that again for the hirelings in the back row. Who yeah, think that uh, that they that other people care more about their 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 flock than yeah than of they course do. And, and it's and it's how we it's how we shepherd fathers in our congregation mm-hmm. you know ultimately those dads love their kids um, more than we love their kids and so when we give them instruction we're we're hoping that they would take that implement that but but we're not going to come into their home as pastors and begin to you know discipline their children um, that that would just be a, a c- complete violation of our jurisdiction. And, and so, tr- so, so too with the government. They need to recognize that, that people have minds of their own. They make decisions uh, that we as pastors, we love our people. And, uh, and so we will, we will do whatever it takes to, to protect them, body and soul. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, I'll, I'll ask you this first. This is, it's a, it's a big, vague question. It covers a large period of time. But if you think about the last two and a half years, if you think about what your church has gone through, what you've gone through personally— if you were to pick, even, even, even as I'm asking this, what kind of what rises up to the top of your mind in terms of uh, one of the most thankful to God for this kind of stories? He did this, there was this experience, this situation happened that makes me truly thankful and, and, and humble and resting in, you know, the sovereign loving care of God in the midst of this. What well, What's the one thing that if you could, if you could ask for a witness, someone to testify, you know, I'm here, I testify to the goodness of God, what would that, what would that story be? What would that situation circumstance be? Well, it's hard, it's hard for me just to pick up one mm-hmm. in the midst, midst of that. You could be a good Baptist. Give me three. Give me a good three-point answer yeah. to the question. It, it would have to be... You know, maybe I, I'm trying to think of more more specific, but but generally it would have to be just the <clears throat> the amount of feedback that you hear from folks within your own congregation or, or other, elsewhere of people being converted, of mm. people being strengthened and sanctified, of people crystallizing in their mind how important the gathering is, how important fellowship is, and just seeing a real spiritual hunger awaken in people mm-hmm. that is then satisfied in, in, in a vibrant community and a fellowship of faith. Um, just because as, as a pastor, that's, that's why we serve. That's why we preach. That's why we shepherd the people. We want to see the spirit of God formed in them. Mm-hmm. And so COVID-19 and all the government pressure created an environment in which God was working in that way, in a way that I have never experienced before and so that was a that was a that was a joy to my heart and and it's it's incredible that you know you you behind the pulpit every week for for years and then you you spend a few weeks in jail and you realize that your your few weeks in jail have have done so much to back up all that you've said the years before mm-hmm. such that well, it's like when paul says i'm <laughs> my sufferings are filling up Right where where Christ almost like filling Lacking up the sufferings of Christ, where yeah. it's it's not that it, he's contributing, but something about his suffering takes the work of Christ, the gospel, the truth, and adds to it, makes it rich in such a way that the people 
see it, not only do they benefit from it, but they're affected by it yeah. in a way that it's, it's lived out, right? It's the gospel conviction lived out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's excellent. So, I, you know, I was humbled by that and encouraged by that. And, and still to this day, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord has chosen to work in this way among, among our people and that, that we've had a, a place to, to see that and to witness the Lord's mm-hmm. work. James, how about yourself? Well, my, my mind goes in a couple of different directions. Uh, certainly, when I look at my imprisonment, I mean, I was on a road that I believed was marked by obedience, and that was requiring that I refuse to sign my condition of release and, mm-hmm. and subject myself to imprisonment. So I was entering a world that is, I mean, that's uncharted territory for me. And I've certainly obeyed the Lord in difficult times leading up to that, but nothing like this. And to walk in obedience to him, enter into a significant degree of the unknown and see the way he, in his goodness, cared for me, watched over me, watched over my family, Mm -hmm. provided for me, has blessed my life since then. Um, I would give glory to God eternally mm-hmm. for what he has uh, done in that regard. So that, that's certainly there. But also now we're seeing all the baptisms come through for folks that were saved as a result of our stand. And they, they're giving their testimony in the waters of baptism. And they're talking about how they found out about Grace Life Church and all the churches were closed. And so they, they found this church and started coming to this church and the salvation accounts that come through that. So, I mean, if even one person was saved as a result of what we did, what I did, uh, that would be, that would make it worth it. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see, I mean, we're hearing account after account of people being saved and, and now not just outside of Grace Life, but even at Grace Life and they're being baptized. So I think between everything that Tim just highlighted that I totally um, second. Um, the way that he cared for me in my imprisonment and since then, and then just the way that we've seen people come to the Lord through this time. I mean, you just can't, um, you just can't beat that. I'm going to, I'm going to pick two quickly because I, I, I didn't plan this, but as I asked the question, my mind went to two stories, one for each of you, for you, James, it was the sound of prisoners banging on the walls as you were coming out. You could, you could even hear it from the video. I just like, that was I was, it felt like a movie. It felt like a scene from a movie where you have someone who was wrongly accused and they serve time in prison. As they're released, everyone's banging on the door in support. Like, what a, what a testimony to even the fact that they knew, they knew that something, something was not as it should be. And, and they were supportive of it. I thought that was a powerful moment. Um, and for you, it was, uh, it was being able to speak at the, the funeral for that officer. Hmm. I was in, I was in, uh, Moscow, Idaho, with the the Christchurch guys in June. So this is shortly after this had all happened, and I was on the show. And Knox asked me the question, "Why are you guys staying in Canada?" Like this is the behind the, the paywall, so not everyone saw this part of the interview. It's like, "Why are you guys staying in Canada? Like, what's the point?" And I told him about the picture that you'd sent us, the screenshots that you sent us, of you speaking to all these officers like dumping truckloads of coal on their on their head and i looked at knox it was really emotional we got emotional we're kind of crying and i said that's why that's why we stay like that's that is a testimony to what it means to actually 
be faithful to Christ and advance his kingdom. And so those, both those stories, they, I mean, the, the, the visuals, the audios, seeing the videos, seeing the pictures, those are, those are burned in my memory as being these really, these powerful moments of here's the fruit of costly obedience, right? Yeah, and that, that story um, is a special one mm-hmm. because you know, almost a year after my imprisonment in front of, you know, a whole group of police officers, they loved including you. the chief of police. Yeah, they loved you. And then even to, even to recognize that the man who had died, uh, and as I preached that funeral, was a man that I, I'm convinced he was saved during the COVID pandemic. And it was because he first got in touch with James from his hospital bed, and then got in touch with our church and began to attend our fellowship. And it was, it was through that. And it was even listening to you, James, listening to some of my sermons, listening to Jacob's sermons, um, I, I believe he was he was truly converted, hmm. and he had such a desire to use his life, even though he was he was a very sick man. Desire to use his life for the glory of God. He wanted to see his fellow officers saved. Um, you make me start crying now too. We, we, had, we had both preached on Psalm two. His favorite Bible passage was Psalm two. He wanted hmm. that read at his funeral, and so it was. I was so encouraged that the Lord would orchestrate that in such a way. And so so here's a man who's touched. Hmm by God through these defiant pastors comes to saving faith and then through his testimony others will be blessed and brought mm-hmm. to the Lord and so just just praise God for how he would orchestrate that we could never write a story I know like that that's amazing yeah I, 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 I knew that he was attending your church I didn't know about the the listening to the sermons the connecting that's another another element to the well, story he, he was in the hospital so he he got sick and he actually woke up from his medically induced coma in, in, right in the middle of COVID-19. So everything was being shut down and he's in the hospital saying, what is going on? And, uh, and as he started to you know, investigate what was happening and being inside in the hospital, knowing that you know, the, there's, the bodies are not piling up in here, um, it, it was then that I think he first found out about this pastor in Edmonton who had gone to jail. And, uh, and so that's, that's what kind of led him as he, as he sought truth about COVID-19 led him to the Lord. Hmm. That's tremendous. Wow. <sighs> so we are, um, we're here at the Church at War Conference, and it is structured around the documentary that we will be watching, Antichrist and His Ruin, based on a work by John Bunyan. I mean, we're all familiar with the material for our audience. They don't know John Bunyan is a Puritan pastor in the 17th century and when the English monarchy decides to function tyrannically and think that they can tell the church what to do and how to meet and how to worship and dictate the terms of worship Bunyan says no Bunyan is in prison because of it he's given an opportunity to be released from prison and says I would I would rather have the moss grow on my eyelids than not be faithful to Christ He's released from prison, and just a year or two before he dies, he writes of Antichrist in his ruin. And, and really, he talks about what happens when a state becomes beastly, you know, Romans 13, beastly state, and they, they, they become a, an arm of Antichrist. It's an Antichrist state, and the response of the church. And so the, this weekend is a, it's a celebration. It's, a, it's it, it really, I hope, to be a further galvanizing of 
of people who are certain of the crown rights of, of, of Christ, as our, as our Scottish forefathers would say, that he alone is sovereign over the church, that, that he rules, that he is the one who's purchased a bride with his blood, and the state has no authority. And when the state encroaches on that, the church says, like I thought everyone had acts memorized, I must obey God rather than man, but we have to re-memorize that passage together. So here we are this week. We're recording here before anything's happening. People are still setting up. And so we have two days of... I mean, I'm excited to, to listen to you guys both speak, but I'm sure you would agree that what we're most excited for is for all the stuff in between. It's for the meeting and the conversations and the meals. And that's the real highlight of this is that being able to... I mean, this is the first time I met you guys in person. So being able to connect with guys I've seen, I've talked to over a distance right, and put in real time here brothers in, in arms from a distance, but we're like-minded in our convictions, and so that's why we can celebrate together. What, um, in thinking about this week, maybe to kind of close off our time, if I could ask, what are you most looking forward to? Is there something in particular that you're excited about, or even a, a, a sense of your thoughts on this conference, on this week, and what it is that excites you that brings a sense of joy and anticipation to your soul as we think about again what i hope to be a rather important and and historic wonderful moment for the church in canada and that we get to be a part of it so what, what i'm looking forward to um and i've already enjoyed it is is like you say being in the flesh in person with other brothers and sisters in the Lord that you did not know of before the events of 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'd gone to supper with you like years ago, mm -hmm. but you know, you, you, can't, you kind of do your own thing in ministry. And yet when this happened, it, uh, it brought us together in a way that we would never have been brought together otherwise. I, I never would have known Trinity Bible Chapel and Jacob Riom or met you, Andrew, or any of, the, any of these brothers that you realize Canada is so big and we're so spread out. And if it was not for this, uh, we would not have these, now these friendships. And you recognize, well, the, the, I have some brothers in arms, um, other men who you can rely on when it gets hard, uh, other men you can seek counsel and, and, and toss ideas around with. And so to be able to do that and, and to build friendships and then to, from those friendships come, come lifelong partnerships, come... Um, other, other men, you know, joining into that fellowship and, and other churches will be planted or strengthened. And so I see this as an opportunity to, to strengthen the, the church across Canada. So rather than, like you said, rather than fleeing, go somewhere else. Like let's, let's strengthen what we have mm -hmm. and, uh, and use this as, as an encouragement for the other brothers here. So that's why I'm, I'm excited to be here rather than just, uh, you know, being, being t connected virtually, but together in the same place. I wonder, so. by the way, before you answer, James, I wonder who's more excited, us or our wives. I think our wives might be, because their chat is like, like it's blowing up. It's all, they're always, is just off the chain. And so I think they might even be more excited to, to meet than, than we are, which is saying something. So, James. Yeah, well, I'll say for sure I am excited to preach uh, because until I've preached, it's almost like I can't really enjoy anything else, you know? But, um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. Definitely all of the fellowship that's happening and that will happen and, and just getting to spend time together. I can't wait to meet the people that are coming to the conference. Um, I think that uh, there's going to be folks that 
we haven't met yet, but maybe we've interacted through social media in some way, shape, or form. Um, looking forward to meeting some of the kids that are going to be here as well who have prayed for me and written to me and all of that. So, yeah, I just think the whole weekend is going to be uh, is going to be a blast, and I, I'm looking forward to the guys and hearing them preach. Can't wait to hear um, Steve tonight and, uh, and then Tim and Jacob. So just looking forward to everything. I think the whole weekend is going to be phenomenal. Hmm. So I when all this stuff started happening, March 2020 hits, you know, my church, we're not connected with a network or a, a fellowship, a denomination. I don't have history in either Feb or, or this seminary, and so we feel kind of isolated. And so lockdowns come, and every other church in the city says we're going we're gonna to shut down. So we felt very alone as a, as a church. And because I didn't have any of these network ties, because I didn't grow up in you know, I didn't attend this seminary. There was, there was no sense of what was going on. Uh, and, and Bright Light News didn't exist. True North News didn't exist. Rebel News was kind of doing some stuff. And so it wasn't even like I could just go on the Internet and hear stories and see testimonies of what's going on. And so eventually I, I, I watched an episode of a podcast that you were on with Jacob and James Kitchen, this strapping lad behind me here. And when I watched the episode, my first thought was, there's, there's more? Like, they're out there? Like, there are actually other guys out there that, that they feel the same way? And so I connected with you guys. I remember a first meeting we had. This would have been in February or March of 2021. Jacob had invited us on a signal chat or a Zoom chat. And there were about 10 of us. You were on that call. Steve Richardson was on that call. And all of a sudden, I found myself connected with other brothers like-minded being faithful and I think the one thing it did for me and I know that a lot of guys feel this way as well a lot of guys who I know who are in churches where they're three hours away from you know another another faithful church they're independent churches this feeling that we struggle with even as as, as shepherds of, of loneliness right people don't know what it's like to be an elder this sense of isolation intensified over the last two three years and just finding other guys who are willing to and ready to obey Christ in the same way, knowing that I'm not alone. And not only am I not alone, but if the worst should happen, these guys will come to help us. When you were arrested, Jacob was out there, right? Out there visiting. I know when I was working part-time, I'm not going to say where I was, but I was working part-time at a store or kind of part full-time, and we were talking about the vax mandates and what happens if they require it. And I said, I might, I might lose my job. And three of the other pastors, guys we know, like within five seconds, messaged me saying, you know, if you need help, let me know. We can, we can pull together a love offering or benevolent. Like if you need help financially, like I've never met you guys in person. Like that kind of, that, that brotherhood, that bond, that connection. Uh, I'm, I'm quite thankful for that. And so having seen your stories from a distance, the, the, the stuff that you guys have gone through, I am personally very thankful for your love for Christ, your willingness to obey him at great cost, and the testimony that has been to churches, and the encouragement it's been even to men like me to, to see maybe, maybe there are worse things than prison. Maybe there are worse things than even the agony of that, that, that obedience to Christ is worth it. He's worth it, so... For me personally, as a man, as a pastor in Kingston, thank you guys.
I'm very thankful for you. Um, and I'm grateful to, to, to call you brothers and now to be able to meet you in person and continue uh, what I hope to be a wonderful relationship as we're almost certain that it's probably not going to get any easier anytime soon in our country for us. So thank you guys and thank you so much for joining me on the dispatch. This might be one of the highlights of the week for me. And so I'm very thankful to have you guys with us. Our pleasure. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And our audience, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Dispatch. Uh, keep up with more content. We're going to be dropping videos, an episode of the Liberty Lounge, pictures, posts. We're going to be very active on our social media. And so make sure you follow, like, and subscribe, all the things that we're doing. As always, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.